I'm so excited to be having this wonderful director, playwright, theater educator here with me to talk about the importance and the significance of the Hawaiian voice uh, and what that means and reclaiming land through voice and through theater. And um, just in terms of connecting to this larger global movement of of rights and race and gender and culture. I think it's really, really important to uh, talk about these issues. So um, let me introduce my wonderful guest. It's uh, Professor Tammy Hailiopua Baker. She's an associate professor at the Department of Theater and Dance here at UH. And as I said, she's a playwright, theater educator. In fact, I'm taking a class with her right now, a scholar. Um, I, I think she's a boundary breaker and a disruptor of, of the dominant narrative in which we need more of. And also uh, Professor Baker is the artistic director of Kahelau, I know I'm gonna probably say that wrong, um, Hanakiaka, a Hawaiian medium theater troupe that's also based here. So welcome so much, Professor Baker on K2H. Aloha mai no kaua e Crystal. Mahalo for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Mahalo. Thank you. And I wish I had more Hawaiian words to give to you. I feel like that's language is something that brings people together. There is something ingrained, embedded in language that we often dismiss because we don't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I find that in my Chinese culture, you know, uh, my daughter is also, she's, she's studying a lot of Chinese right now. And with her, her friends who are uh, mostly American, with their lack of knowledge of the Chinese culture, and that's fair enough. But when there's a lack of sensitivity because you don't understand something, there's a lot of ignorance going on and there's a lot of misconceptions and judgment that comes with something when you have a lack of knowledge of language and respect for it. Um, So I wanted to start there because you have created this theater that is completely in Hawaiian language and um, that has become extremely successful, but in a way controversial in the sense that it, it brings that question of, um, is it an inclusive thing? Is it something for your own people that you don't want others to come in? And I'm sorry for throwing it out right off the bat because I wanted to originally start with something <laughs> kind of warmer and looser, but so I just feel like this question of reclaiming uh, voice and the language, what it means to you and why that's important. Mahalo, mahalo for the question. Uh, and on your comments earlier about uh, language being a tool for us to understand our culture, right? Language being a tool to unlock knowledge. And I think for us as Kanaka Maoli, language is that connection to our ancestors and is that connection to understanding our history, our cultural values, um, our beliefs and practices. And in learning all of that, we are able to solidify our foundation. And when we solidify our foundation, we're able to empower ourselves in a complete and whole being of what it is to be Kanaka Maoli. So it's that understanding that you cannot get in just English. We can read a lot of translations, but only in reading the Olelo Hawaii, you're able to understand the intricate details and you're able to understand um, nuances and and look into um, a different worldview. And that's really, I think what language 
the benefit of language learning. Whether you're of a culture or not, once you learn that language, and of course it takes years to develop fluency, right? Because you can be conversational and still not completely fluent in a language. So in making that commitment to work towards fluency, one is able to see a different perspective, a different view of the world. And, and like I mentioned, you know, just intricacies and nuances that um, allow you to kind of attach onto concept, right? And understand epistemology and the ontologies of the, of the culture that you are not able to do if you're just reading about a culture or about a people in English. So in creating Hanakeaka, in creating Hawaiian medium theater, we're able to empower that understanding. We're able to showcase the language and we're able to interrogate our history, if you will. And our most recent production, Aua'ia Holding On, that's really what that journey was about. It was about finding understanding and, and being on a path to use language as a key to open a door, to open a pathway of understanding. On that um, comment, and stop me, but if, if no, I'm please, taking no. this too far, no. um, but on that comment about, you know, is this uh, exclusive or is it inclusive? I would say that there is a target audience for the work, but it is not exclusive in the manner that um, we don't want other people seeing it. Not at all. Right. Not at all. In fact, I encourage non-Hawaiian language speakers to come and see the work and appreciate the story, right? Appreciate the aesthetic. Appreciate the fact that, you know, our language is growing and we are actively doing things to revitalize. We're actively doing things to um, re-understand, right? To reconnect. Yeah. And to go from, you know, a place of loss and to move into a space of striving and thriving. Yeah. We really want to be thriving. Yeah. Yes. And so this is part of that effort. You know, it's a means to express ourselves. It's a means to um, put our voices and our thoughts and ideas out there. Yeah. And yeah, it's the theater is a tool of empowerment. Yeah. Let's get to the theater as a tool, because I think that's a great one to unpack. But going back to the language a little bit more, you know, you made me think about because I'm I'm more into films. And even though I also have a theater background, I you know, when you look at foreign films, people in America tend to want subtitles or they want the trend, they want the uh, English dubbing, which is horrific, right? To, to right. That, that just kind of, uh, you know, it, it's just a uh, horrible, but um, it goes back to why we need the comfort of our own language and the unwillingness 
to listen to something that may seemingly be challenging and uncomfortable, but they're missing the whole point of all the, like you say, the nuances with a language. Even if you don't understand it, there is something there, right? Um, I showed this one indigenous film, uh, a documentary called Dodging Bullets to my um, class in women in media. And there is a long section where there is a speaker, uh, a Native American speaker who spoke completely in his own language without any subtitles or translations, which was really interesting because the, the entire film had translations, but they specifically did not use it there. Like they purposely wanted us to feel that. And yeah. it was powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to me trying to re-understand what you're saying about um, the power of claiming your own language in theater, because that is important. And um, we need to reach beyond what we think we know, right? Mm -hmm. Let's back up a little bit. I wanted to really okay. open with something softer, um, finding out more about you and how that shaped, how you became such a voice for Native Hawaiian uh, theater. You know, you, I apparently, you, your family is, a, a, came from a family of storytellers. Is that right? Your mother yeah. is a hula dancer. What is your father also a storyteller? Tell us about your family. And yeah. So um, I, I come from, I always say this, I come from a long line of orders uh, however, oration was done in pidgin for most of the most part. Uh, and this is my dad's family. Um, you know, my, the, the men in my dad's family uh, are storytellers. Uh, they are, my uncle is, is a hunter. He's been hunting all his life on Kauai. And, and so and my uncles, I should say my uncles, um, but I have one particular uncle that knows each and every valley and who had um, the kuleana, the rights to be hunting in those areas, right? And and so these are the kinds of stories that I grew up hearing. Also my grand grandpa who has passed, you know, um, he had wonderful stories and they were fantastical stories as well. But, you know, these are the things that I grew up with. And uh, I grew up in a time on Kauai and in a, in a space where we didn't have fancy cable. We didn't even have television. So at night, the way that entertaining happened <laughs> was storytelling, right? The, the, you know, or reading books or storytelling. And, um, I, I kind of feel now in retrospect, I feel like that was part of the training to take me to where I needed to go today. And so that's that foundation um, that allowed me to step into or prepared me to step into playwriting. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite? Of all the stories that were being told. Yeah, and, I was gonna and, ask you, can you share? Do you have a favorite story of your uncle, the hunter? Do you oh have a favorite goodness. hunting story? <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite story, but it's always about, you know, the, I think the excitement part is, is about just before, just before and the, the building up to um, capturing or, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't want to get into details <laughs> well, about hunting, but you know, it, also, the the disembowelment of the pig so that they sure. can bring it out of the mountain. I don't want to get gross with no, everybody. No, no, but, but it's real. But, you know, right? it's like them telling those stories and then the, the task of packing uh -huh. 
packing the the hunt out of the the forest and down the mountain and you know that those those stories are just um vivid the graphic yeah they're vivid like the details stick with you right yeah you know and um and yeah so it's those stories that and the details about you know the 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 pack of the dogs and and this movement and that movement and and like I said I don't want to get like gory at all. No, that's okay. But it's those, those kind world. of things. And then and then you know there's also the the stories of um from my grandfather and being a paniolo. And I remember as a child, you know, after school, we would go up to the pasture to feed the cows and we would gather the buffalo grass and then we would get the feed and we would drive up and then, you know, go up into the mountains to take care of the cattle. And then, and then the stories, cause I, you know, all, all the, all the uncles and my dad and my, my grandpa, them and them, you know, doing their, their regular roundup to um, basically do the castration of certain cattle. This is, this is not where we had anticipated no, no, it's going, actually, I'm fascinated you know, by this and there's process. stories about eating mountain oysters, right? Oh, and mountain oysters. You, I've never had that. Okay. Can you tell me what it tastes like if you had to describe it? <laughs> oh my God. Um, I, I, <laughs> This is not where we thought this was going. It's it's theater. It's it's theatrical. It's performative. So I just remember as a young girl, you know, like being up in the mountain, and and you know, they the work is done, and they're roasting, and you know, and and having beers, and there's lots of laughter and stories about you know, just just poking fun at if somebody had a hard time wrestling one of the cattle or, or whatever right. it was, you know, and then, um, did the girls not the process were the women not involved with the hunting or, or anything? No, not really. Like, so when we would, um, so I being the oldest grandchild. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, you know, my dad, my dad wanted a son and I guess I sometimes at certain points was the son he didn't have so I was able to go on these things that normally women weren't really around okay um and so I was just a tag along Uh for many you know in many instances but um where all of the women in the family got involved was when um either we slaughtered a cow or whatever and then we did all the meat packing and all of the preparation so you know that 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 was the whole family involvement whether it was you know I remember as a little girl being excited that I could tape the thing shut you know I, I would be able to tape the packaging shut right okay, that's a big and then I moved up the line and I was able to do the writing on the package uh-huh. or, you know, whether it was right, ground beef right. or whatever you know and then um progressing up the line right because as you get older you get to do other things sure. and, you know like the mail I'm, room you start with the mail room right it's the right, same thing right, right. <laughs> yeah right. and you just kind of work your way up to yeah. you know oh do I get to like ground the beef now or whatever as right. as we got older and and then there were more cousins right that were born into the family so they got to do the taping of the packages and I got to kind of move up as as I grew up so um yeah and you know that's that 
well, I grew up very um, close to the land, yeah. right? And very much um, in, in a, I wanna say it was sustainable type living, right? Um, granted, we did go to the, the, the grocery store, Kojima's, right, in Kapa Town. And they used to sell our excess meat too, like from our, you know, the, the uh, certain cattle. Um, once we had enough for family, we was selling cattle too. So Kojima's, we could see um, our meat in the case over there too, where, where you actually had a butcher back then, right? So it was a very different time. Yeah. I don't, you know, people don't get to see that process anymore. Right. And, and, you know, as a young girl, I grew up in a plantation house. Um, so there was um, no bathroom in the house. There mm. was no shower in the house. There was, it was all outhouse. And so for the first like eight, nine years of my life, it was pretty meager, I guess you could say living. Um, and we, it, it was very country, you know, it was. Were there strong gender roles in the family? Like the women had their place to do certain specific things? Yeah, I, I think it, it's, yeah, as I reflect back, there's certain things that, you know, the, the men had their space and their kuleana and the women had their space and their kuleana. Yeah, because when you describe the hunting um, experience, it sounds like a very masculine space, but it was yes. very exciting, you know, very. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And those and, are great stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then and then even the, um, you know, raising cattle and ranching is, is mm. a pretty masculine space. But there was some female involvement, you know, in in different aspects, but. Yeah, it's kind of interesting when I think about it. I, I think it was a codified world. I do, you know, um, it, yeah. A lot but, of my aunties chose to be um, caregivers at home. You know, they chose to be the domesticated wife in the household right. and right. didn't go out to work. Yeah. Um, so, and, and my, this is my dad's side of the family on the island of Kauai. Okay. okay. Yeah. There's also well, if you're in such a natural environment, there's actually a nat natural division of work anyway, it sounds like, right? It wasn't yeah. something that was gendered uh, per se, but your connection to the surround your environment and nature must have had a huge impact on on how you embrace your environment. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that taught me worth ethic and and appreciation and gratitude you know when when you're raising your own food right yeah you know um yeah every then that was another thing like in the morning I remember my sister and I we would go outside and get all the the, the eggs from the hens you know and bring that into the house and and then we'd be getting ready for school yeah. It's really kind of interesting when I think about it because it you know, it was a very different lifestyle than the lifestyle my children have experienced. Sure. sure. Right. You know, we were outdoors a lot more. Yeah. It and, almost sounds exotic. Like for me, you know, growing up <laughs> in the city, it's like, oh, I want to be able to take the eggs fresh from the chicken to the kitchen. You know, that's something we don't know because we didn't grow up, you know, with that. Right. 
Right, 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 right. Yeah. That, is that something that you work into um, your theatrical work is to bring back this old feelings of that Hawaiian lifestyle? You know, I never did write a play that was based in my childhood. Huh. And that, that might be something that I do along the, you know, yeah. in time. Um, but it, it's never um, made its way into, into the stuff that I've written. I'm sure that experience, those experiences have translated into maybe some decisions or character objectives or stuff yeah. like that. But there's never been a place set in that time period. Huh. I yeah. would have, I would love to see, you know, to understand <laughs> history through a story of some simple life somehow, but I'm obviously there's going to be a lot of drama. In it. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I think, yeah, when I think about my Ohana and Kauai, it does not lack drama. <laughs> see, there you go. <laughs> but what is it? What is it that um, pulls you into select which type of stories you want to tell? for the theater? Mahalo for that question. Mahalo for that question. I, you know, I am a true believer that stories select us, hmm. that they, you know, um, make themselves, um, they reveal themselves to us in a manner that, you know, allows us as, well, uh, this is not coming out very clear, but as a vessel, um, playwrights are vessels. I see myself as a vessel. And when a story is ready to be told, it gives me signs, mm. right? It, it allows me to um, channel the story so that it can be put on paper and eventually translate the page to the stage. And it's not something you can quite grasp right there's something innate yeah. something inside you that's just telling you and you need to be sensitive enough to feel that yes I would agree with that a hundred percent you can't um see everyone's always saying and even I've, I've been hearing it lately now because we are on this the calendar for next fall yeah to have our yeah. next production and everybody's asking, oh, what's the next story? What's, you know, what's, what are you going to write? And my answer has been, I don't know. Hmm. It really, it remains to be seen. There, I've been having these ideas and these thoughts. And there's been one, a couple of melee that have been, you know, kind of resonating in my mind. But at this point, um, I'm waiting <laughs> to be directed. Hmm. Yeah. Of, well, with this whole what Black Lives Matter and the indigenous movement and the reclaiming of land, are these things that compel you to want to, I guess your actual, anything you write is going to be addressing it because of the fact that you are a Hawaiian theater, right? With a Hawaiian voice. But in within the story, within the vessel, do you think that you need to address that now through your work? It, I, I think that this no matter what gets written in this time we will be looking at it through those lens right yeah. that that has created a context for us um and we're responding to that context so no matter what the story is it's going to be a product of its time and it's going to have an imprint of these these times that we're dealing with and the issues that we're facing. So um, 
it might be a story that, you know, is now more relevant because of the time we're in. Right. And our lens in seeing that maybe yeah. we might see things that we might not have seen in another time period. So, yeah, that's very exactly. Exactly. So let's hold on to that. I think um, we'll take a break and we'll let people kind of ponder on how we have, in light of these recent movements, shifted our lens on how we view um, race, gender, cultural identity and, and our our connection to the land. So we'll be back. I'm talking to Professor Tammy Hailiopua Baker uh, from the uh, theater department here at UH. So don't go away. Welcome back, K2H listeners. I am here with the privilege of talking to Professor uh, Baker on the power of theater in preserving and reinforcing and reinterpreting, if you will, uh, Hawaiian theater uh, here in Hawaii and, and, and its impact globally. Because I think when we talk about language, which we did earlier in our conversation, we talked about um, what shaped your um, identity growing up uh, with your hunting uncles and uh, all those brilliant stories and, and how that shapes you as a person um, and your connection to your your culture and roots. And so you've transformed uh, your Hawaiian culture into the space of theater that you call a vessel, right? Um, I also think that theater is also a site of revolution because it's a place where we're allowed to speak our minds and to insert very strong statements about something that we feel power, uh, passionate about. And that that's the, I think that's the role almost of theater. If you, if you write something that's just something that's out there that does not disrupt anything, then what's the point? And correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but that's how I feel. And I wanted to ask you how you felt about that in light of so many movements going on right now in the world, you know, environmental climate, racial gender movements, how can theater be a space of revolution? And how do you work that into your work? Mahalo. Oh, that's a great question. I will do my best to try and give you a uh, an equally great response. <laughs> you know, I, I think if we look historically, the theater has always been a space of um, transformation, right? It's been a space uh, to allow stories to be told. It's a space for voices to be heard. It's a space for ideas to be challenged. And it's a, a space for individual artists, performers, directors, playwrights, directors, designers, to put forth concepts that may allow or incite people, right, to have particular conversations, to have people um, in our audience uh, empathize with experiences, to um, create space for change, to create space for alternative realities, to create space to have public engagement, right? And one of the things that, you know, comes back over and over again for me is in this last production, I'm going to reference Aua'ia holding on again. Um, when we did the Aloha Aina medley following George Helms uh, address, people in the audience collectively 
rose to their feet and joined in in song. It was one of those things that, you know, I feel like theater should always do that. Theater should always ignite people. It should always be a communion. We should be striving for theater experience to be a communion between audience and performers and engagement in that story. And in, in that particular engagement, we, we acknowledged and we honored our ancestors and we honored all of the warriors who came before us to fight for the love of our land. Aloha Aina. And when the audience received that and the audience participated in that, and it was, it was one of those experiences that, as you can see, words cannot really explain, but it, it brought me to tears each and every time that that happened, because I knew that what we were doing at that moment in time was so much greater than us individually. It was a huge recognition and movement of a collective, of a collective belief, of collective mana, and that translated into empowerment, empowerment of the Lahui, empowerment and acknowledgement of our Aina. And that I think is where healing can happen. Yeah, that's beautiful. Did you not anticipate that effect to, to that extremity when you had written this play? Well, you know, I knew that we had something powerful. Mm. I knew that we we were going to connect with our community. And I knew that um, it was gonna be difficult for some, you know? And I, we did our best to be sure that we honored and we gave gratitude to those that we were channeling in that piece. Um, and in making that connection, it was so important that we had pono, you know, righteous intentions. Um, and I think the response that we got and what every performer felt on stage um, validated that we had taken the right steps in preparation, in intention, and in execution of that particular scene and and of the of the production in general yeah. yeah I would think that I mean pulling it out to the larger process of theater I I was going to ask you what distinguishes um, an indigenous way of thinking because you know like feminist thinking um, there is a very kind of um, multi-layered perspective and it's hard to have people understand if you don't really feel that space and I wanted you to help us to explain a little bit about what it means to come from different directions and how do you break these kind of linear ideas of ways of thinking. Yeah, so I again this goes back to um, being grounded in language and grounded in culture. Um, it, it's very difficult, I would say, 
for someone to um, tell a story about a people if they don't understand that people and if they don't understand um, what the, the rules of engagement in are in a, in a culture, right? And what the protocols are, what the cultural beliefs are and practices. So um, in the uh, pre-production process, right? In the rehearsal process, it was very important um, for me as a director and with my fellow artistic team and artistic directors, um, it was really important for us to ground all of the performers in, for, for us, what is a, a Hawaiian approach to storytelling, right? And to give them the tools and the understanding that there are certain protocols that we're going to follow and those protocols are going to ground us and they're also going to protect us and guide us in this process. So that started very early on with a retreat. Um, and at this, the, the retreat at Kalaioka Opua um, was a means to introduce everyone to one another and introduce them to process and to have a opening um, ceremony, if you will, so that we were all committed to one another and we were committed to a particular process. Mm. And it, it, it's really about grounding. It's really about recognizing, it's about recognizing the land that we stand on, the ancestors who came before us and attributing, you know, all the guidance um, to our akua and to our kupuna uh, so that um, with each and every step that we make towards being ready to take this on and present it in front of an audience, we are um, recognizing that foundation, right? We are recognizing um, the protocols that have been set for us. Um, and realizing uh, that we are part of a collective, right? It is not about an individual on that stage. It's about the collective. And I think that's what distinguishes the difference between Eurocentric thinking and maybe more indigenous Hawaiian or native kind of ideas of knowledge. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you, you know, we can go on because it's so deep and so comprehensive this idea of this collective and the roots and how deep we can go with um with heritage and, and history um but now that you kind of laid out a brief foundation of the importance the significance of this process and connecting to um your ancestors and tribute to kapunas i wanted to ask you one um final question on the comparisons between tradition and modernity. Um, and if people are just listening now, I'm talking to Professor Tammy Hailuopua Baker on the power of the Hawaiian theater and the significance of this voice. So um, 
Now, I, if you don't mind me sharing, is that your daughter is also in our playwriting class, right? Yes. yes. And I, I, I'm really enjoying because we've been able to pair up and talk about both of our scripts in work in process. And what's interesting is both of us are writing a story that questions and challenges the a person's um, choice and and dilemma between embracing traditional culture and growing out of it and pursuing your own mm-hmm. personal desires, you know, to have agency, to break away from tradition, but not de- be detached from it. And so that is a very interesting um, thought that I've had. And I wanted to ask you as a mother, as a parent, and as a, you know, an educator, you know, you have so many different hats in your relationship with your daughter, right? <laughs> so if she had decided, or just maybe anyone in, you know, who have these strong ties to um, your cultural heritage and identity, but want to move away from it, but having all that pressure from the ancestors saying, no, why? This is your land. This is what you should be embracing and you should be reinforcing it for the future generations. Why do you want to disrupt that? So what are your thoughts on that kind of conflict? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, thank you for that question. Actually, I um, could you had me read her draft on <laughs> she submitted it. So I'm very familiar with what the story is going, you know, going to be. Um, I, I, you know, I have seen, I have really seen a shift and a change in, um, in this generation. I'm going to say my daughters, my sons, their generation, uh, that because they have been raised with, with their language, understanding their culture, um, there has been, I want to say a general shift in this current Hanauna for them to stay close to home. Hmm. You know, there's, there's more and more Kanaka Maoli deciding to stay home for school, Hmm. deciding, you know, to be, you know, open businesses and create entrepreneurship here at home, instead of going away. Um, in comparison to my generation, I think when we were very much detached because our parents weren't, you know, my, our parents were kind of told that they were nothing. They were told that they weren't going to be anything. Right. And so they never had a desire, you know, to, um, to really uplift who they were and they were forced to assimilate, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and the generation I come out of is, was very curious um, uh, and wanted to see, you know, why and what was this knowledge that we were lacking, right? And so, I know that myself and my husband, we've, we made a conscious decision when we were young kids in college that, you know, we wanted to be sure that anything that had been erased during our grandparents and parents' generation, we wanted to restore that. And we wanted to make sure that our children had that knowledge and that um, they would not feel less than because of 
that detachment and because of the mass assimilation that happened, you know. Um, my grandmother's generation, this is my mom's mom, you know, they, they were not allowed to even learn, right? To not speak what little they knew or to, um, to be around the adults when the adults were speaking, right? Uh, so they lost Olelo Hawaii. They lost a sense of who they were. Um, they may have grown up in, you know, the rural upbringing and whatnot, but they were never encouraged to be Hawaiian, to be Kanaka, you know, and that is something that they hid from, you know, they tried not to go into the sun so they wouldn't be dark. They did everything to be American. I think one of the, one of the most moving things for me because, you know, we made this decision, Kaliko, my husband and I, we made this decision that we were going to dedicate ourselves to learning Olelo Hawaii and to being a part of the language realization movement and to create means for our children, you know, to be speakers of the language. And so from the time that they were in my womb, that's all we spoke, right? Um, and, and so I'm tying this back to my grandma. When my daughter was four, and my grandma had left, she had left Hawaii, um, divorced my papa, she oh. left. Um, she was back for a trip, uh, and it was my daughter's fourth birthday. My son was, you know, about five years, four, some odd years older, so he's about eight. My daughter's four, and my grandma is watching them. You know, we're having a family party for the birthday. My grandma is watching the, her two great grandchildren speaking and she just starts crying. And, you know, I, I was sitting by her and she was so moved, you know, to hear her great grandchildren speaking a language that she had heard when she was a child, but was not allowed to learn. And I think that moment, that time that I shared with her, and you know, she's now left us, but that time I shared with her right there was validation of you know, the decisions that we had made. And it was validation that we are in a new time. We are in a time where we are not afraid to be who we are, to speak our language, to reclaim our land, reclaim our practices, reclaim our space, yeah. and reclaim our lahui. And that, to me, was, was all that we had ever needed, is to see that validation from my grandma, right? Um, and so I, that gave, I think, more strength towards the efforts that we were making. And it exudes yeah. out of your daughter, Kayu. I mean, it's just yeah. beautiful. And that's such a beautiful story for you to share. And it's interesting that we started off our conversation about language and we end with language, the importance oh. 
of it. And it's really a full circle. And that kind of really reemphasizes how cyclical life is and how things do come around. They may be morphed into a different form, but they go around again. And that again, is maybe perhaps is a, maybe an indigenous way of thinking of that things are not linear, right? And we right. believe in this kind of beautiful fluidity in how things are connected, right? and how we were able to connect in this very intimate conversation. I appreciate you sharing and um, just got me thinking about rephrasing my, my original intentional question to you about your daughter's um, work on, on, on exploring that struggle between tradition and modernity, which really wasn't, sh should not have been the question because what I hear from what you had just explained so clearly is that it's actually more radical to come back to what we are. Yeah. And so I really am so grateful for your sharing. And I'm just, I'm feeling all fuzzy and just really, yeah. it's really important this conversation. And um, I thank you deeply, uh, Kumo Baker. Thank you. Oh, mahalo, mahalo Anui for having me. Um, the word that pops in my head right now and having shared that story, which now is airing publicly, um, is healing. Yeah. It's about healing. And I hope you, well, I know you will continue to create work that heals through your vessel of theater. And, and just thank you so much for all your power and work and beauty. Mahalo. Mahalo anumi. <laughs>